You may open your Bibles this morning for an opening passage of Scripture to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. For those that might be listening or viewing this assembly or sermon in another setting, we have had read to us this morning Psalm 15, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11. We've had read to us Luke 8, verses 4 through 18. Matthew 21, 33 through 45, and Galatians 5, 16 through 26. We're studying and we're combing the Bible to find what the Lord would like and desire of this church over the next 35 years. In June, we celebrated our 35-year history, and the Lord has brought us a long way, and we are very thankful for what he's done, but we want to press on and lift up our eyes and have our feet set on a higher plane as we sing in the song, Higher Ground. And so we are come to trait number 10 today, trait number 10, and it's going to be the fruit of the Spirit that we need to be a fruitful church producing and having the results and consequences of the Holy Spirit in our lives individually And as a church, so far, we have seen number one trait that we want is to be Christ-centered. To have more emphasis on the Holy Spirit, which Baptists tend to be a little leery of. Third, to have more prayer in our church and in our private lives. Then, to be spiritually minded. To have an eternal or heavenly perspective of life. That's through five. Number six is to have a relationship that's more important than religion or truth. Number seven is personal holiness. Number eight is personal devotions. Number nine is to fight a good war in the spiritual warfare we have against the devil. And that was last Lord's Day. Today is number ten. We want to reach higher and be a church that pleases God. A church that pleases men by appearance or any other measure does not interest us. We want to have a church that pleases God. The Lord Jesus Christ walks among His candlesticks and examines every church. We can read about it in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And He makes judgments of those churches. And if they are not progressing and growing and prospering as His churches, He takes away their candlestick which is taking away his spirit, and all that is left is an organization that that looks a little bit like a church, but it's not really a church in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to have our first love rekindled. We want to have fellowship with him, and we want to bear fruit. This trait that I'm giving to you this morning, the fruit of the Spirit, is different from trait number two. Trait number two was the Holy Spirit in the sense that we want to emphasize Him more. We want to have a more perfect theology in that we understand the role of the Holy Spirit better and we pray for His influence in our lives and in our church. There was hardly anything said about His fruit. It was talking about Him, His work, His ministry, what He testifies of in our lives, that we need to pray for Him, that we need to avoid grieving and quenching Him, because we need His power in our lives. He is the presence of God with us. God is with us. Not in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, but in the person of the Holy Spirit. Invisible to the eye, but nonetheless powerful inside us. Individually, and then corporately in this church. And we want to be very thankful for that knowledge, but that was trait number two. Today is that Holy Spirit should bear fruit in our lives, and we want to talk about fruitfulness. If we're going to be a church reaching higher ground, we don't want a new building. That's not going to make... Well, we do, building committee. But but a new building isn't going to make us a better church. Dressing better isn't going to make us a better church. Necessarily singing better isn't going to make us a better church. But there are moral traits. There are, there is moral fruit. And there is spiritual 
production, spiritual results, spiritual consequences that do make a church different in the sight of God. And those are the things we care about. If a boss, if a boss or your boss's boss gave you a list of things that he wanted you to work on and do more of and offered you higher ground, meaning a promotion and more pay, I think you'd do them. I think you'd be interested in keeping that little list tucked in your pocket and pulling it out every now and then to look at that list of what he's asking of you so that you could give him those things for the earthly reward. Well, we want to give the Lord Jesus Christ all the things he wants from us and from and the things that God our Father wants for a heavenly reward and to please him and glorify him even if he were not to give us a reward. We love the doctrine of regeneration by the sovereign power of the Holy Spirit. John 3, 8 says that the wind bloweth where it listeth. That means the wind blows wherever it wants to. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. We love verses like that that tell us that we're born by the sovereign power of the Holy Ghost. Yet, we want to walk in that Spirit, not just live in Him. As Daniel Jones finished his reading from Galatians chapter 5, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's not just take comfort that we've been born again from a theological understanding or a doctrinal comprehension of it. Let's live out the power of that Spirit in us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 is a well-known verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, the first half of the verse. Because when you look back at verse 25 of chapter 7, Paul said, verse 24, O wretched man that I am. And we all should say amen to that. Because we're all wretched right along with Paul. O wretched man that I am. Look at that exclamation point in your King James Bibles. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 There's no condemnation. It's been lifted. And who do we thank? We thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God sent the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ obeyed God who sent Him. He laid down His life for us and washed away all our sins. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And if we had other Bible versions this morning, we could move to our next text. Because the rest of this verse isn't there. Look at what the rest of the verse says. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Daniel, I refer to him again, reading Galatians 5, 16 through 26 to us, described the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, and it's a choice not to walk after the flesh, but to walk after the Spirit. And it says here, how do we know if we have had our condemnation lifted by the Lord Jesus Christ? We walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Lord, help us. I'm thankful, and we believe our King James Bibles. We don't care how many and how powerful and what mockery they make of us as being King James only or any other descriptive term they might throw against us. The second half of this verse is who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We walk differently. We live differently. And this is what today's all about in this first assembly. Lord, help us to do this. The fruit, the fruit of anything is that which is produced. Fruit is the effect. That's with an E. What is 
what results from something or the consequences of a thing. When we say we want the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we want the results or the consequences or what is produced by the Holy Spirit. And it's a list of things. And today, this is not complicated at all. It's a reminder that for our church to be great, and we do bear much of this fruit already, but if we want higher ground, and every one of us looking in the mirror of God's Word should realize we have a lot of blemishes, and we don't measure up as well to that list as we should. And so it's just to encourage us, let's make sure we measure our church by the right list of things. Let's not measure our church by just the ancient landmarks. Let's measure the ancient landmarks being the points of doctrine and practice. You know we're Baptists. We will only baptize a believer and only by immersion. And we know that it does not save the soul. We're Baptists. But let's not just stop at being Baptists. Let's move on and bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. There's lots of Baptists that don't bear fruit. And if we all be honest with ourselves, we've been Baptists and haven't bore fruit at times. We judge men by their fruits or their results just like we judge trees. Jesus liked to make the comparison. James made the comparison that when you look at a tree and it's got apples, he did not make that example. When you look at a tree and it has apples, then you know it is an apple tree. And I don't have time to turn you to those passages, but where Jesus taught, ye shall know them by their fruits, it's because you identify trees by the fruit hanging off it. Can anyone identify us? Can anyone identify you? Are you identifiable? Are you clearly known and visible as a Christian? As a Spirit-filled Christian? As a Spirit-empowered Christian because you're bearing His fruit? Do they see the fruit hanging off you? So they know that is a spiritual Christian. This is our goal as a church and as individuals. The Bible uses this kind of terminology throughout. Look at Luke chapter 8, which our brother Jonathan read this morning. Jonathan Carnell. Luke chapter 8. The most important verse out of that parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8 is the 18th verse, the conclusion. And it is the first six words that are weighty and serious and should grip every one of us. Luke 8, 18. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Every one of us should take great care about how we hear the preaching today because there's four responses. There's the wayside hearer that's not that's daydreaming right now, and so the devil snatches away the Word of God and they leave with nothing. Then there is the stony ground hearer that doesn't have deep soil, so the roots have to spread out wide instead of deep, and the sun arises with persecution, and it disappears and doesn't bear fruit, though it did spring up quickly with joy when it heard the message. Then there is thorny ground where thorns grow up around. It springs up well. It hears the truth. I love that message. Yes, that's true. Lord, I want to live for you. But then they go out and the cares of this world and the love of things and covetousness choke it out so that it doesn't bear fruit. Then there's good ground. Ground that is not daydreaming. Ground that doesn't care about getting rich or, or being comfortable in this life. Ground that doesn't care about persecution. It's ready to hear the Word of God. It's eager to hear, what can I learn today to please God more perfectly? Bam! You know, it grows like Jack's beanstalk. And it bears much fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and some 100-fold. Now in Luke chapter 8, the complaint that is made by the Lord Jesus Christ about different kinds of ground are they don't bear fruit. Look at 14. That which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. 
Then verse 15, But that in the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. So how do you bring forth fruit with patience? You keep the word of God. You're going to hear some things today that you ought to do better and that I ought to do better. So how do we leave here? Fruitful. We keep the word that we're going to hear. That's all we have to do. Oh, there's so much that could be said. It's fruit. The results of a thing. The effect of a thing. The, the produce of a thing. The consequences of a thing. And we're talking about the work of the Spirit of God in us should result in an outward demonstration that we're obviously Spirit-filled. Because we do things that only a man with the Holy Spirit would do. God did not save you to live any way you please. You should rather bear much fruit. That was His purpose in saving you. Was for you to bear fruit to His glory. And without that fruit, you can't be sure He saved you. There are lots that are going to tell the Lord Jesus in the great day of judgment, Lord! Lord! I did many wonderful works in Your name. I was a preacher in Your name. Lord! Lord! I never knew You. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. That's horrible. The world rushes on out there. 7.2 billion of them. They don't care about this lesson. But it is coming so soon. And it's going to catch them unawares. And they'll all give an account of their lives. And we'll give an account of ours. Let us hear instead of I never knew you. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. Look at Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist burst on the scene in the wilderness of Judea. And all of Judea went out, it says that in the Bible, to see his baptism in the river Jordan. Matthew chapter 3, but he blasted those Jews that came to hear him. Verse 7 of Matthew 3, but when he, and that is John the Baptist, Matthew 3, 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. This is the Word of God. John the Baptist gets himself an audience. And he just lays into them because he knew that many of them were hypocrites, especially the Pharisees and Sadducees that were there. And he says, show me some fruits. I'm baptizing with the baptism of repentance. Repentance is not something that comes out of the mouth. Repentance is a changed life. Show me. Because the axe is now laid to the root of the tree. The fire here is the burning up of Jerusalem in 70 AD. It was on that generation. He called them a gener- old generation of vipers. That group of men that were alive at the time of the Lord Jesus who crucified Him, the Son of God, the Messiah, who was proven so by countless miracles, God burned up their nation, burned up their city, and destroyed those miserable men as Brother Chris read to us from Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 45. Because God said, I'm going to take my kingdom away from the Jews and I'm going to give it to a nation that will bring forth fruits. And who is that nation? It is a singular collective noun for the nations of the Gentiles. Are we part of it? How do we know if we're part of it? We bear fruit to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to that end. Look at the ministry of John the Baptist. Remember what was read to you by Chris. When it came time for the fruits, he sent his servants, apostles and prophets and preachers. And what they do? They stoned them and killed them and mistreated them and abused them. Then he sent his son. There were prophets before he sent his son. There was John the Baptist before he sent his son. 
and they took the son and killed him as well. And Jesus asked his audience in Matthew 21, what will he do to those men? And they said, he's going to obviously miserably destroy them and, you know, burn up their city and because of what they did to his son. And uh, then Jesus said, well, this is happening to you right now. And you know what? The Pharisees understood it. They understood the sermon that day. They knew that he was talking about them. Did they repent? No. Everyone sitting here is intelligent enough to understand that a day of judgment is coming. But who is regenerate and converted and convicted enough to let this change your life? Luke 13. Luke 13. This is a short parable. This is a very short parable. The certain man that owned this vineyard is Jesus Christ. The dresser of his vineyard is, are his preachers. The fig tree is you. The vineyard is the church. We're just getting a little attention focused on you and me. And me. By the fig tree. Luke 13, just four verses. Verses 6 through 9. Verse 6. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. The vineyard is the church of Jesus Christ. The certain man that owned it is the Lord Jesus Christ. The dresser is his pastor. The Lord Jesus Christ walking around his golden candlesticks, as Revelation chapters 1 through 3 describes, measures every church and measures every member of every church. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes and looks at this fig tree, and for three years he's checked on this fig tree, and the fig tree has not produced any fruit. There's no figs hanging off it, it's barren. And he says, I've come three years looking for fruit. My pastor, cut it down. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? It's just wasting soil. It's wasting water. It's wasting everything else that a fig tree uses. It's wasting. It's cumbering the ground. It's a nuisance. Rip it out. Cut it down. And the pastor says back to the Lord, Ah, give me another year. Give me, this is a good pastor. The good pastor says, give me another year. I will do some more digging around this fig tree. I'll fertilize it some more. That's what it means to dung it. I'll fertilize it some more. Then come back in a year. And if it's got fruit, well, we've had success. If it doesn't have fruit, and I love this so much, you cut it down. And your pastor lives, Luke 13, 6 through 9, and he has never, ever been disappointed. Ever. I trust him wholly. I love to dig and I love to dung. I dig and dung every day of my life. And it is my pleasure to dig and to dung. But you and I had better bear fruit or we're going to be cut down and cast out of his church. And, and let rot and be burned up by His chastening in this life because we're not bearing any fruit even if we're children of God. Lord, help us. Yes. Turn to John 15. John 15 about this fruit bearing. You know, it's throughout the pages of Scripture. John the Baptist starts with it. Jesus taught about it. Jesus warned about it. Now John writes about it in John 15 and verse 1. 
Jesus Christ is speaking here in John's recording it for us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Oh Lord, let's not have that happen to us. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. You've heard of pruning to get more fruit. The Lord's always working with us for one end. Fruit and more fruit or out. Fruit and more fruit or out. He deserves it. He's not a hard taskmaster. He deserves it. He made us trees in His garden. We want to bear fruit. We want to bear as much fruit as we possibly can. We want Him to have to tie our limbs up. Because it's about to break them off. This isn't, this isn't to frighten us into inactivity. This is to convict us into fruit bearing. Verse three, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. You have been aptly warned. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. That's why we are a Christ-centered church. The more we love the Lord Jesus Christ, think on Him, read about Him, meditate on Him, talk about Him to each other, sing about Him, it fuels our new man to bear much fruit. We abide in Him by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and obeying Him. That's abiding in Him. And we bear fruit by doing that. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, if you live a carnal life, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. We want to be the real disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and that means we bear fruit. And we bear fruit by abiding in Him. And we abide in Him by believing on Him and keeping His commandments and having His word with us so that we're always doing what Jesus said. If ye love me, keep my commandments. This is the life of a Christian. And the more you do it, the happier you are. The less you do it and you're a child of God, the more miserable you are with your life. He that will lose his life for my sake shall find it, Jesus said. And he that tries to find his life shall lose it, is what our Lord taught. Fruitfulness. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. There's so many references about it in the Bible because we were saved to bear fruit. We were saved to have changed lives. We were saved to look more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. God's worked in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. We love that little passage of Scripture. God's worked in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And we are supposed to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I wrote it to you yesterday in the preparatory email. With fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. T.D. Jakes don't teach no fear and trembling. Joel doesn't teach any fear and trembling. Rick don't teach no fear and trembling. But Paul taught fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. So that we bear fruit. You know, the more fruit you're bearing, the less trembling you're doing. The Apostle Paul wasn't doing a whole lot of fearful trembling because he applied himself with all his might to bear fruit, and he bore fruit. He bore much fruit. He could get to the end of his life and say, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I have fought a good fight. And he meant it. And it was true. We want to be able to do that as a church, as each one of us is laid to rest. I can't say in the church cemetery building committee. As every one of us is laid to rest, let us be laid to rest with similar statements that we can make and everyone knows they're true. He fought a good fight. He kept the faith. He finished his course. Let's do that. That's higher ground for a whole church. 
You know, so many pastors have to get in the pulpit standing over a body in a box that's on wheels that's going to be rolled out and put underground and say some sweet platitudes for the family that is sitting there knowing full well if he's a sincere, sober pastor that there wasn't very much fruit in the man's life. Do you remember Jerry's testimony from last Lord's Day? Let that not be true of any of us. Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 5, is about the Lord chastening His children. And if you're not chastened, then you're a bastard, so you don't have to worry about anything. You're on your way to hell. But if you're a child of God, the Lord's going to chasten you. Because He loves you. He wants to perfect you and help you and get you back in the way of righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for chastening us. Thank you for Psalm 119, verses 67, 71, and 75 that tell us that the Lord in faithfulness chastens us to get us back in the way of righteousness. It's to be fruit-bearing. He wants all of His children walking as dear children and bearing fruit. So it says in verse 11, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Being spanked by the Lord is not fun but grievous. It can be painful. Nevertheless, nevertheless, though it does grieve you and it's not joyful when it's happening, nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now you're getting a little bit of chastening right now from the Word of God. Let's be exercised by it. Let's have our minds and our hearts, our souls and our consciences exercised by the Word of God. Hurry up, Pastor, and get to the list. I need it. Like a dying man in the desert who needs a drink of water, I need the list. Thank you. I was waiting for that. Fruit is obvious. You know, Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Ah, so it's visible. All of you sober, godly, Bible-fed, Bible-retentive members of this church, you can sit down with a piece of paper and rank the members of this church. We can sit and rank the members of the youth group. It only takes as long to write the name as it does to find their spot. Because fruit is visible. Fruit is obvious, and it doesn't come out of here. It isn't here, and it's not this sitting on a pew. It means nothing. It's the things that we're going to get to, and how much of them is there. We want all men to see our good works, and glorify our Father in heaven. We want to adorn the gospel and silence our enemies by continuous virtuous conduct. Belly worship is obvious. A belly worshiper, the Bible tells us what a belly worshiper is. They mind earthly things. That's what it says. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. You don't have to have a Buddha in your backyard to be a belly worshiper. I know Buddha's got a big belly, and if you were worshiping Buddha with a big belly, then in one respect you'd be a belly worshiper. But the belly worshiper in the Bible is simply a Christian that minds earthly things. They care about their job, their house, their yard, their car, their food, their pleasure, their vacation, and the rest of the junk. All of that is junk compared to living all out for the Lord. It's visible. Belly worship is visible and fruit bearing is visible. All you have to do is listen. What is the conversation about? Watch. What do they live for? What do they do? What do they do with their 168 hours in a week? Count how much fruit they have. Compare. Measure it. The Bible tells us to do that. And you know what Paul would write to every church? I want you to abound in these things more and more. More and more. And why am I preaching the way I am right now? That we would all abound in these things more and more. All of us. Pastor and you. All of us. Abound in them more and more. There's places that we can go to build our list. I've gone to a few places to build a list of 18. We're going to quickly go through the 18. There's more than 18. I'm just going to use a few lists to come up with 18. Otherwise we end up 
constructing a whole practical theology and trying to preach it in one service. Otherwise, I could preach until the end of my life on this subject because it is all that the Bible contains on how we ought to live. But I've picked 18 from very specific lists that the Lord has given us. Do you know the first list? It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Daniel read it to us this morning. Galatians chapter 5. We'll start with that list. Because in this passage of Scripture, Galatians 5, for higher ground, for you, your family, and this church, there is a list of things given that we don't want. It's the works of the flesh. And that list is given in verses 19 through 21. And it's a pretty long list. It's got more than nine. Then, in verses 22 and 23, we're given a list of nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I don't make any big deal about the difference between fruit and fruits because both words are used in the New Testament. However, I would like to say this, that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is nine things. And the reason I want to get a little bit of value out of the singular word fruit is that you cannot justify yourself by being a distorted Christian. You can't say, as as I go through the list, hey, I'm a five on number two. (laughs) Number one, let's just leave that alone. I'm a five, you know, out of ten, and I'm a ten on number four. Well, you're a distorted Christian because this is the fruit. The Holy Spirit doesn't just teach a person how to love. The Holy Spirit teaches a person how to be joyful. And you're supposed to do both. Love is a commandment and joy is a commandment. These things we, we can do. If we're, if we're born again, we have the power in our new man to do them. Every day, we have to put off the old man as Daniel introduced his passage in Galatians chapter 5. We put off the works of the flesh and put on the fruit of the Spirit. So it's a daily activity. We've got to remember them. Then we've got to learn them. And right now I'm going to teach them to you very quickly. And we've got to do them. If, if I've if I got to do it 18 in just a few minutes, we need to get going. Number one is love. Love, it says in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is the greatest measure of a Christian in the Bible. By far, way past faith, way past anything else, it is the greatest. Now by faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. So much more could be said on that subject. A sermon series was preached long ago entitled, Love is the Greatest. Because love is the greatest measure of a child of God. Devils believe they have faith, but devils don't love. Love shows such a change in our nature. What is love? It is unselfish care for another's godly profit. It is not puppy love. It is not infatuation. Love is unselfish care and desire for another's godly profit. The Apostle Paul said, the more I love you, Corinthians, the less I am loved. Do you know how unselfish that is? To love someone that doesn't love you back? That's just huge. But love is looking outside yourself, wanting to do something for the other people in here or in other spheres of your life to help them please God more perfectly. That is the highest definition of love. It is not getting, it is giving. It is not for this plane It is for that plane. Of course, we also do things for each other on this plane. That's what love is. I've preached it all before. I could turn you to verses. It would cloud the message. It's all going to be in an outline on the website in a few hours. Love, joy, is heartfelt gladness from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, Rejoice. It's a commandment. And the Holy Spirit is inside you, and it's the choice. Am I going to live after the flesh, or am I going to live after the Spirit? And we've got to put one off and put one on all the time. Peace is sweet contentment, trusting God and not fighting. Thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. How peaceful is your life? How joyful are you? Do you love others? Is your life dedicated to sacrificing yourself, your schedule, your money, your habits, 
your preferences for the benefit of others that you can make them better Christians. Oh, this would be higher ground if we all did this more and we abounded in it more and more. You know I could turn you right now in the Thessalonian epistles where Paul would tell them, God has taught you how to love each other and you do it so well, your reputation is in other churches. Yet, I want to write you that you would increase therein more and more. Now Paul, don't you ever get happy with your churches? Not really. Of course he did. He told the Philippians, you are my crown and my rejoicing when I stand before Jesus Christ. But did that mean he wasn't going to press them? Oh, no, he was going to press them to abound more and more. And you know what? One second after seeing Jesus Christ, you will be thankful for a pastor, that, if you had a pastor, that pushed you. And you will be thinking to yourself, I wish my pastor would have pushed me harder. One second. Love, joy, peace. Long-suffering is number four. Patiently endures adversity and adversaries. Patiently endures. Is willing to forgive and forget people that irritate them. Because it's long-suffering. It means it's willing to suffer for a long time. doesn't blow off at the hand. I'm not going to talk to him anymore. doesn't do that. It's long-suffering. That's number four. Number five, gentleness is an easygoing and tender kindness toward others. The Apostle Paul made war against his hearers. The Bible says so in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But the Apostle Paul also described himself in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 as a nurse. Now Paul was as manly as there ever was in the pulpit. But he behaved himself like a nurse. He was gentle. Are you gentle with others? Easy to be entreated, but we're coming up on that one. So, wait till it's a moment. Gentle. Are you easygoing? Kind. With others. Gentleness. Or are you, are you harsh? Hard? Strict? Severe? Lord, help us. Gentleness. The Lord Jesus Christ was known for His gentleness and His meekness. Was the Lord Jesus Christ a man? See him sitting there on a bench in Zerubbabel's temple. He got himself a two-feet piece of wood. He tied nine strands of leather to it and made himself a scourge. And he took that scourge. Now see, if you've read too many Bible story books, you don't even know who I'm talking about. If you've watched too many Hollywood movies, All you can vision right now is a Hindu guru sitting cross-legged on the ground, rocking back and forth with his long hippie hair. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. We're talking about a short-haired man, 30 years of age, who has raised a carpenter's son, taking himself up a chunk of wood for a handle and tying leather strands to it, and he made himself a scourge, and he drove the money changers out of that temple and kicked over their tables and spilled their money everywhere and was so violent in the attack that they couldn't even gather up their money and cried out that they had turned his father's house of prayer into a den of thieves. And he stood there when it was all done. They were all gone. There were tables upside down, money everywhere, and animals chased out of the temple. And he stood there. Is there anyone else that wants to try me? And they came up and they, they said, by what authority are you doing this? And his disciples remembered Psalm 69 and verse 9. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Now I just chased that rabbit for a couple, and it wasn't, that was a, a proper rabbit trail for a couple of minutes to say that when the Bible says gentleness, you can show gentleness to your fellow church members, to your family, to your spouse, and to others, and still be a man of men like the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Amen. Woman, where are thine accusers? Mm-hmm. Lord, I have none. Neither do I accuse thee. Go and sin no more. Now how's that for gentleness? Amen. The thief that's been cursing him on the cross today Thou shalt be with me in paradise. 
Do you know how often we need to make a scourge? Hardly ever. Do you know how often we need to be gentle? Most of the time. Help us, Heavenly Father, have the right balance. Goodness is number six. It's moral purity and benevolence to others. You're good. Psalm 112 describes a good man because he loans his stuff and helps others. I don't have... I've preached all these to you before. Do you all know that? I have preached Galatians chapter 5 word by word to you. I have preached 2 Peter chapter 1 word by word to you. I have preached Psalm 112 to you. We have heard these things, but we need the reminders. You're going to have the list. You can expand the list, contract. Well, you shouldn't do that. Expand the list and say, I want more of these today. When you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, you rub it out of your eyes, and there's that list. Yes, I am going to do more of those today. Goodness is moral purity and benevolence, which means kindness and doing nice things toward other people. There's plenty of verses for all of these, but there isn't time, and it would distract you from the list. Faith is number seven. It's confidence in God and all His promises so that you don't get moved. My feet are established. I'm going to hold fast. I trust God, and though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. That's what Job said in the book of Job. Though He slay me, Yet will I trust in Him. Who in here has been slain by the Lord Jesus? None of us. That's way beyond anything we've ever experienced. I will trust in Him. That's faith. Meekness avoids personal attention, esteem, or glory. It wants to give it to others instead. It comes meekly and gently and reservedly whenever it corrects someone. Moses was said to have been the meekest man on the face of the earth because he never wanted that job. He fought against that job. He tried to talk, get out of it. He told the Lord, I was born with a hair lip. Metaphorically, I don't know how to speak. He never wanted that job. And, and he is the one described in the Bible as the meekest man on the face of the earth because a meek man is not looking for any attention, would rather take a back seat, listen, as far as he can in his sphere of authority. Temperance is number nine in this list. Temperance is self-discipline of passions, self-discipline and ruling of your spirit. It's not drinking too much. It's not eating too much. It's not sleeping too much. It's not letting your spirit get away from you too much. It's rule. It's best described in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where it describes a world-class athlete seeking to be the best at their particular event, and they're temperate in all things. They sleep when they're supposed to as long as they're supposed to. No more, no less. They eat what they're supposed to. No more, no less. They exercise and and follow training the way that they're taught to. They're temperate in all things in order to win a corruptible crown. We should be that way for an incorruptible crown. Every one of we should have this list. And if you don't put it on your mirror, have it here or read the Word of God to remember it. Then we jump over to Ephesians chapter 5 and we have righteousness. It's in verse 9. Righteousness is doing what is right by God's definitions. Righteousness. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not little ticky-tack rules that we don't drink, smoke, or chew or hang around with those that do. Because the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Have we already had two of those? peace and joy, we're getting righteousness, but it's from Ephesians 5, 9. That was Romans 14, 17. The Bible ties these all together in lists. The list will have one or more of other lists so that you can combine them together knowing it's talking about the same thing. The kingdom of God or our church relationship is righteousness, doing what is right by God's definition, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. What a church. Let's have more of that. Lord, help us. Our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. That's number 10. Number 11 is truth. It's there in Ephesians 5, 9. Truth is love of honesty, honesty and hatred of any hypocrisy or exaggeration or dissimulation. Truth is honesty. It's not just believing the truth of God's Word. It's conducting ourselves truthfully and honestly in the sight of all men. Provide things honest 
What are the, what are the other words? In the sight of all men. Men can see whether you're an honest person or not. Because every transaction is always taken care of very carefully. Let's be men of our word. You know, when we shake hands and there is a deal made, we pay on time the exact amount or more, never less. Truth. Then we jump to Second Peter chapter 1 and we add virtue. Virtue is noble strength, moral purity, to always do what is right. Like the virtuous woman. The Bible says in Proverbs 31 and verse 10, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. That's virtue. Because a person has strength of character and moral nobility and purity of heart and mind in their ambitions and attitudes that they will always do what is right. It's a great word. We don't use it that much anymore. Ruth was a virtuous woman in Ruth chapter 3 and verse 11. And the virtuous woman has such strength of character and is so noble in her commitment to doing what is right and what is pure, the heart of her husband can safely trust in her. It doesn't matter where she is, what she's doing, or who she's with, he can trust her. It's a great word. And it's there in 2 Peter chapter 1 as what we're supposed to add to faith. But remember, we already got faith in Galatians 5.22, so I'm not mentioning it again. We're on to number 12, which is virtue in this list that you can embellish any way you want. You can make it longer. It's the only way I'll let you embellish it. Number 13 is knowledge. That knowledge that is in 2 Peter chapter 1, which I preached to you a few months ago when we went through that epistle, is knowing God's will. It's not knowing God, because you have to know God in order to have faith. And this is faith needs to have virtue added, needs to have knowledge added. So it's some level of knowledge past knowing about God and Jesus Christ, because that's embodied in the word faith. It's knowing the will of God for your life. It's that knowledge, and I preached it to you that way then, and I gave you many scriptures, and it's in that jimungus outline on Second Peter chapter 1 that's on the website. Because I wanted, I wanted us to get our hands and our minds around that word knowledge, because it's third in the list of eight in Second Peter 1, and it's all spiritual understanding, knowing the will of God in all things. We want that. How do you get the knowledge? How do you get that knowledge? You got to feed on the Word of God. You got to read those proverb commentaries every day. They're just going to keep, keep telling you what the will of God is for your life. Number fourteen is godliness. This is a sober religious purpose to conform your life to God's character. Godliness is to be like God. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus taught how we can be like God. God loves His enemies. He sends His sunshine and His rain. Today it's rain. The last few days it's been a lot of beautiful sunshine. He sends His sunshine and His rain on the evil and the good. He sends that stuff on atheists. He'll have His day with His atheists. And He'll remind them of all the sunny days that He gave them and all the rain that He put on their gardens. And so we're supposed to love our enemies. And He said, you can be the children of your Father which is in heaven be perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Those are all the verses of Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. We can be perfect like God by loving our enemies. Don't take me too far or take the words of the Lord Jesus too far. You're never going to be divine. But if you learn to love your enemies, you're like God treats His enemies. And it's a level of perfection in godliness. Because you show that you're a child of God by acting like your father. Lord, help us do that. We need an enemy. Live righteously and you'll get some. Number 15 is purity. This is from James chapter 3. Purity is innocence of attitude and ambition. You have a pure mind and pure motives in everything you do toward others. This particular purity is not chastity, like a woman is supposed to be pure and be a virgin, this is purity of ambition and purity of attitude and pure motives in what you do toward others. It's shown that in the context. Again, this has been preached to you in an outline of James chapter 3. Number 16 is easy to be entreated from James three seventeen. 
easy to be entreated. If someone gives you advice, if someone corrects you, if someone warns you, if someone reproves you, you appreciate it. You're thankful for it. You're easy. You say, thank you for doing that. Thank you for pointing those things out to me. I didn't think about everything. I wasn't circumspect. You're right. I was wrong. You know, David said, if the righteous smite me, if the righteous smite me, I will count it a kindness. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Proverbs. Easy to be entreated. Mercy. Mercy forgives those who offend you, and you have, you have a right, you have a principle that you could chase them, punish them, or dislike them for. But mercy just blows all of that away and forgives and forgets something that someone has done to you. Mercy. The Bible tells us to love mercy in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Praise. This is number 18. And it's out of Hebrews 13 and verse 15. Mercy was out of James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. There's more. You can fault me for the way I've overlapped them and for the ones I've excluded, and I'm sorry for hurting you. But uh, I'd like to see your list when you're done. Praise is verbal thanksgiving to God, often before others. We want, when our mouths open, good things come out about God and about the glory of God and about the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of His Word and the preciousness of the Gospel out of our mouths. How can we increase in fruit to please God more and more? Those are 18 examples from several lists in the Bible. Remember, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is by fruit, not by feelings. Don't go looking for the Holy Spirit because you're just feeling jacked up. The the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is in His results in your life. The actions in your life. Sometimes you may not be on cloud nine. In your feelings. Don't measure Him that way. So many people measure the presence of the Holy Spirit by feelings. We've had people in this church tell me later, some of you will remember these, uh, wow, there's no Spirit in there. The place is dead. Thank you. Somebody else comes in a few weeks later. Some of you may remember this. Wow, I got Holy Ghost goosebumps in your church service today. Well, I don't think either guy would even know the Holy Spirit if he came up and introduced himself to them. Because the Holy Spirit is measured by the changed lives. Not by whether we get jumping happy singing victory in Jesus or not. We love victory in Jesus. I call that a campfire song and don't pick on it because I do like it. Do not put your stock in your feelings, your thoughts, or your words because only fruit counts. This is important. How do we increase in fruit? We don't make an error on how we measure the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm trying to point out right now. How do we do it? Don't make an error on how we measure the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's how much are we changed. That's the Holy Spirit. Don't cheapen the gospel and confuse yourself by throwing your own fiery darts waiting for feelings. You're helping the devil out in his work. If you're waiting for feelings, let's just do what the Holy Spirit said we ought to do. And we'll do it by His power because that's the only power that's going to help you do it. And that's the only power that would ever make you think of wanting to do it. Just go ahead and do it. The Holy Spirit's leading you to it. Remember the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is by fruit, not by gifts. Not by gifts. Judas Iscariot had more gifts than Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, and the rest put together. Judas Iscariot could perform miracles and preach so well, none of the other apostles had the slightest idea he was the one that was going to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't measure it by gifts. It is a lie from the devil that you cannot do these things. You have the power. From 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto glory and virtue and godliness. And we have great and exceeding precious promises given to us that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. You can put off the old man and put on the new and you are strengthened every day by the Holy Spirit according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 to be able to do these things. Don't listen to the lie. 
We cannot think ourselves Christians except by measuring ourselves by the fruit list that I gave you from Psalm 15, from 2 Peter 1, and the 18 that I just gave. Don't wait fatalistically for the Holy Spirit to produce this fruit. You need to learn and do it. The Holy Spirit has already done His work. He will enable you and further empower you as you do in obedience to Him the things that His written Word tells you. Don't just sit around. I just don't feel like it yet. I'm waiting for the power. Stand out in the sunshine. You'll feel the power of that big candle in the sky. But you're not going to feel the power of the Holy Spirit standing there saying, fill me with power by itself. You've got to repent of the things that you're doing wrong. Tell Him that you're committed to do the things that are right. And in that doing, you're asking Him for enablement to strengthen you. We are not fatalists about this. The Holy Spirit has already worked like the wind in regenerating us. There are so many that are looking for the second blessing. Not usually among Baptists, but they want to go into the baptistry tank and think they're going to come out and something special is going to happen. You know, nothing special is going to happen right now in this service, right now, unless you humble yourself before, to the degree you humble yourself and tell the Lord that I have failed and I have not done these things like I should have, and you are worthy of my utmost for your highest. Then the Holy Spirit will assist you in that. When you encourage yourself, when you, when you encourage yourself and take courage in the Lord and commit yourself to Him, then He will strengthen your heart. It's in Psalm 27, the last two verses. Verses 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit further increases your obedience. Don't sit around waiting for it. He wants to know if you by faith, you will step out and obey. Our new man loves the fruit list I just gave you. He knows that it's absolutely right. But the old man hates it. So we daily have to make a choice. Put off, put on. Put off, put on. Brethren, you have to confess your sins as fast as you can think of them. Mm-hmm. We must confess our sins quickly and thoroughly to avoid quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Then you will not have that sustaining, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. He will be withdrawn and leave you without the strength to do what you should do. Yes. We want to confess our sins as fast as we can. If we seek daily to live for the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, the Spirit will bear this fruit in our lives. Love the Bible and feast on it, for it is the written mind of the Spirit. No man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him. You know, while there are similarities between me and every man in here, and there are similarities between all the men that are in here, no man really knows the things of a man, save the Spirit of man that is in him. And no one knows the things of God save the Spirit of God. Yes, and the right. Spirit of God, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. The Spirit of God has put it down in words in the Bible. So you have to feast on this. It will feed that Spirit and that power. It will remind you of the list of 18. You know from now on when you're reading the Bible and you find a list, you're going to say, ah, there's a little list. Yes, embrace the list. You and your family and our church is beautiful to God by fruit not by how we look or our words. Trust your pastor. This is, these are one of the, this is in the list of how we can have more. Trust your pastor as the Spirit leads him and speaks to you directly. Right. Why did we have this subject today? I don't know, except the Holy Spirit leading. Amen. I know all the circumstances about how we got this today. But all I can say to you is I don't know, except the Holy Spirit's leading. I wait on Him. Sometimes it's frustrating and it pains me because I like everything laid out for the next six months so I don't have to worry. And sometimes He wants me to worry to see if I'll trust Him. And I've learned to trust Him long enough. You know, at the end of your life, it's pretty nice to have figured out how to trust the Lord. (laughs) Trust your pastor as the Spirit leads Him. So when you're sitting there thinking... I wish you'd have preached on something else today, or I don't really like this subject, or uh, we've heard all that before, or this is too spiritually minded for me. Why don't you repent while you're there in the pew right. and just say, I'm going to trust the Lord. 
that in him connecting all the dots in the universe, that I was born on earth and not on Pluto, and that I ended up in Greenfield, and I ended up in this little weird church, and that weird guy up there is my pastor, I'm going to trust that somehow, some way, God's strong enough to have told him what to bring to me today, and I'm going to listen to it. Amen. I'm nothing. Trust him. Don't trust me. Trust him. Let us commend and encourage each other whenever we see a visible manifestation of these fruits. Whenever you see it in another brother or sister, grab them and tell them, I just saw what you did. That was great. Thank you for giving me that example. I enjoyed seeing that. Higher ground is coming. You just showed me where it's at. You know, whatever, whatever you're led to say to them, encourage them. And let us warn the unruly and meekly restore those that are in faults, as the Bible teaches us. Right. Now it takes review to remember these various aspects of the Spirit's fruit and to bear them in our lives. Because I'm done. We have to take, make the effort to review these things and to think about them. What was that list again that the pastor gave me on Sunday? Can I go to the website, print it off, cut it out, and paste it on my mirror? Can I remind the family of it at breakfast? Can I put it in my Bible? So when I open my Bible, it's my bookmarker. That list. I need to remember them. And I need to remember and prepare them before I go out in the world and I'm confronted on, at the, on the job with all these different things that come up. I want to be loving. I want to be joyful. I want to be at peace. I want to be long-suffering. But the first thing is you've got to remind yourself of them and remember them. Have learned, having learned them, you have been taught them. There's more that can be learned about each one of them, but then do them. Jesus Christ has saved us. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Amen. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The book of Romans just keeps leading, keeps leading all the way through it to us walking the Christian life like the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is higher ground for our church, your family, and yourself. It's to learn the things the Spirit wants in our lives and to do them more and more. May God bless us to that end. Amen.